So let's go before the Lord in prayer now and ask the Lord to intervene on our behalf. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that in our time, in these circumstances, in these troubles, in these particular woes and troubles and difficulties, you look at us and you see us and you see each individual life and you see us all together and you see us as a body of believers who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you have poured out your blessing upon us. We thank you that you have continued to sustain these things that give us such encouragement. We thank you for the Christmas holiday. We thank you for the time together with friends and family, should it have been had. And we thank you, Lord, that even some of us who were kept from our families, that our families were kept safe and kept well. We also do remember those who have been kept from their family for a long time. And we pray, Lord, for those families, for the loneliness, and for the trouble, and for the difficulty that that has posed them. And we also pray for those who have become ill over the Christmas holiday, some of them more recently. And we ask, Lord, that as you pour out your mercy upon us, you would continue to remember them, and that you would put your hand of healing upon them, and that you would be gracious to them, and that you would give comfort, not only to them, but to those that love them. I pray especially, Lord, today, this morning, for those faculty and, and staff and even students who, upon returning to school, perhaps were exposed uh, to COVID and therefore are now doing their work from a distance. Or those students who were unable to return to campus and now are doing all of their studies uh, quite far away from the rest of us unable to enjoy the comfort of our company and to see us together as one body. We thank you, Lord, that they're still able to observe the practices of class and participate in the schooling. But we do pray for them, Lord, as they continue to do their work and help us in the educational program and yet still are so far away. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a time soon in which we can all be together again. We can see each other's faces. We can rejoice and laugh and embrace. Lord, we pray for that time. Lord, we ask that you would give us strength for the study of the semester. For those of us who are teaching, for those of us who are supporting the teaching effort, and for those of us who are being subjected to the teaching, Lord, we pray for the students that they would indeed benefit greatly from the work that the professors have done over the break, that we would continue to give thanks for all of the support that is given to us by the staff in the facilities and in the food preparation and in the cleaning and in the other programming that encourages us and gives us strength throughout the week. Help us, Lord, to have eyes to compliment and encourage and give thanks for all of the efforts that are being taken to promote this education. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be with the people of this country today and tomorrow, and that in our hearts you would give us a spirit of peace, that we would not have anger, that we would not be filled with rancor, with a desire for vengeance, but in fact, Lord, with meekness, 
we would live by the principles of your word. And that as you are a prince of peace, we pray, Lord, that we would be ministers of peace. That we would work with each other to build up households and communities and congregations. And Lord, would this be a witness to our country, which has now turned to violence as a means for expressing their desires and their wills. Lord, may our wills be aligned with you. May we do what you ask. May we be obedient to your word. May we we be a place of hope and fulfillment for those whose countries and the places in which they live are wracked by the kind of violence that we have seen in our own country. And that we would continue, Lord, to do what is right and just in your eyes. That you would help us to see where wrongs are being done and help us to be ministers to those people assisting them, caring for them, loving for them. And Lord, we ask finally that you would continue to help us to pray. Pray for our enemies. Pray for those who resist us. Pray for those who make our lives difficult and miserable. Pray for all of those people, Lord, who need your love and need your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be your hands and feet today and tomorrow and throughout the rest of the term. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we pray together the prayer that your Son has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please hear God's word from Deuteronomy 7, 6-8 and John 3, 16. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Geneva. Good morning. morning. It's good to be back. Um, Hope you had a good break. It was a long break, maybe long enough to get a little bit bored, um, so that you could enter into the mayhem of another semester with eagerness. Uh, that's how we like to function, boredom to mayhem to back to boredom. And, you know, that's what it's like for a little while, at least during college years. Every semester is an adventure. Um, we have changed venue here. Uh, I'm coming to you live from College Hill, which uh, makes me feel a little bit more at home. This is a uh, congregation where I serve. And uh, as much as I enjoy being in this building, 
I do look forward to when we can all gather again together there at the field house. Uh, I miss, I see some young faces here, um, still covered in masks, of course, so not all your faces, but then there's lots of you that I don't see. And, uh, this too will pass, and Lord willing, we'll be together again. This entire year in chapel, we've been reflecting on the nature of God, who he is. Uh, we've been focused on that because the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Uh, what you believe about God is fundamental. Uh, everything you do, every word you speak, it all ultimately flows from what you actually believe about God. Pastor Will Baker and President Calvin Trout, they've all spoken on this subject, directing our minds to the glory of God. Uh, in my time with you, we've reflected on God being holy, uh, God being Trinity, God being sovereign, God being human in the person of Jesus Christ. And then today we're reflecting on this a wonderful characteristic that God is love. Uh, so you have your passages there uh, in your handout, Romans 8, 38, 39, and 1 John 4, 8. So listen to God's holy word and remember the steadfast love of the Lord. I'll start with Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. May God open our eyes to the beauty of his incredible love. Does God really love me? Does that question ever pass through your mind? Uh, it's crossed through my mind uh, with some regularity throughout my life. Does God really love me? And I would guess that every sincere Christian in the world has asked this question at some time or another, does God really love me? And this question arises because there are plenty of times in your life where it doesn't feel like he does. Uh, we can go through spiritually dry times when God feels distant and uncaring. And this question arises when our prayers go unanswered or our desires go unfulfilled. Uh, the question arises in the midst of hard times. It arises in the midst of tragedies and sorrows. Does God really love me? Because, honestly, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Uh, one student, not a student here at Geneva, but, but one student wrote to her Bible teacher asking this very question. She said, I wish I could say that I believe in Jesus and that he loves me, but I no longer believe that. I've been through a lot of tragedy in my life, and I now find myself wondering if God even exists. If he loves me, why doesn't he show it? Does God really love me? Now, there are lots of questions in life that perhaps aren't as clearly addressed or answered in the Bible as we might like them to be. Uh, uh, with many topics, we're left with some level of uncertainty. But as for the question of the love of God, the answer couldn't be clearer. 
God answers this question so directly, so repeatedly, so clearly that we are left beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the answer is this. God loves you way more than you understand. God loves you way more than you understand. And if you know Jesus, then God has loved you before the foundations of the earth. He will love you perfectly forever and nothing will be able to separate you from that glorious love. God loves you not just a lot. He loves you not just more than most, but he loves you perfectly, completely, without compromise, without reservation. And nothing can ever change that. God is love. And in those times when you wonder about that question, does God really love me? You can answer without hesitation with the words of scripture and be assured that he loves you more than you can understand. So God is love. Very simple, straightforward. I want to begin by reflecting on this phrase. What does it mean that God is love? Well, that means that love isn't something that God had to create when he created this world. It wasn't a concept that he invented when he created the human race. But rather, God is love, which means that love existed for as long as God has existed. It's existed forever. Last semester, we reflected on the fact that God is Trinitarian. He's one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet one God. And in their existence... They perfectly loved one another as the persons of the Godhead. Love is an eternal attribute of his character because he's always perfectly loved within himself. There's actually no other monotheistic religion that can say that God is love. Um, So, for example, Islam can't claim that um, because they emphatically deny the Trinity, of course. And so Allah, their God, who existed in eternity past, he didn't love anyone or anything because nothing else existed. Therefore, in his character, in the core of his character, he couldn't love. And that actually is reflected in that religion. Allah remains distant. And furthermore, if God is not love, then he couldn't create a moral attribute that he himself did not possess. God is love. He's perfect love. He's the definition, the description, the demonstration of love. So God is love. That's his character. Now when it comes to displaying this great love, the Bible categorizes uh, this display in two different ways. The Bible describes a general love and a specific love. And we're going to reflect on that general love first. In Psalm 145, it says that the Lord is good to all and his mercy or his love is over all that he has made. This is his sincere, general love for the whole world. And his general love is easy for us to see. Because God loves the whole world, he is good to the whole world. Uh, Last semester, Pastor Baker preached on the command to love our enemies. And the reason why we're called to love our enemies is so that we would be like God. Uh, The point that Jesus makes there is that we are to love our enemies because God loved his enemies. Uh, For Jesus said in verse 45... For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. God is demonstrating a general gracious love for everyone by sending rain and sunshine on everyone, no matter what you believe about, even if you hate them. That's love, and as his children, we are to love as he loved. 
And then you can think about that most famous verse that we just read, that Priscilla just read, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. Inviting the whole world to believe in his son and to be saved. This is the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever known. And if you don't know Jesus, then God right now is lovingly offering to you to come to him. To come to know him and believe in him and you will not perish. But you'll have eternal life with this God of love. Throughout his life, uh, throughout the life of Jesus, he demonstrated this loving character for the whole world throughout his ministry. Uh, Jesus, of course, received lots of criticism because uh, he often ate with sinners and tax collectors, those that the religious people thought were, um, you should, you should, uh, you should uh, shun and, and not associate with. But yet he loved them. And when he was criticized, he said, well, it's, not the healthy who need a doctor, it's those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call the sinners. And another time when Jesus entered Jerusalem uh, for one of the last times, knowing that the people there were going to betray him and condemn him and crucify him, he stood on the hillside overlooking Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. What love. He loved this city. He loved these people knowing full well that he would be crucified by them at their hands. This is his general love for all people, all things, all creation. And you should... Reflect on your own life, how God has loved you by giving you all the good things that you have. The fact that you're here right now, it all comes from God. And this invitation is sincere. Believe in him and you will be saved. It's an invitation because of his gracious love for this world. So it's clear that God has this general love for the whole world. But then the Bible is also crystal clear about a special love that God has reserved just for his people. It's a general love and a special love. And what that means is that if you know Jesus Christ, then he loves you way more than you understand. We can wonder about that question, does God really love me? And the answer is overwhelmingly yes, he does. It's particularly hard this week to narrow down which passages to use in the bulletin because there are just so many verses that speak about uh, God's special love, unending love, amazing love for his people. And so let's reflect, uh, starting in, in eternity past. When there was nothing, when nothing existed except the eternal trinity, we're told that in Ephesians 1.4, he chose you in Christ before the foundations of the world. Which means that out of all the people in all of history, God chose you. In Christ. Not only to create you, but to save you. That leads to another question. Why would God choose you? That's a good question. Uh, Moses actually answers that, answers that question for us in Deuteronomy 7. 
And Moses is speaking to the people of Israel, and he says, out of all the nations on the earth, God chose you. But remember, he didn't choose you because you were bigger or better or more numerous than the other nations. In fact, none of that's true. You weren't bigger or better. But he chose to love you simply because he chose to love you. And that's your answer. God loves you because he's not, not because you're better than anyone else, but he loves you simply because he chose to love you. And then going back to Ephesians 1 there, it says, In love God predestined you to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ. He loved you so much that he didn't just you know, keep you around. Uh, he didn't love you enough just to tolerate you as you know, a slave, someone to live out back, scavenge for themselves, survive on their own. But rather he loved you so much that he set out to adopt you into his own family through Jesus Christ so that you, had, you would have every right of being children of God, all the rights that Jesus has. What an amazing love this is, the kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Now let's move from eternity past to time and space. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to become human. And as a human, one of us, he lived this perfect life and then he died so that you could live. It's the greatest demonstration of God's love, as I had said. Uh, this shows the extent of his love, that he paid the highest possible price to make you his own, to save you, to adopt you, to have you. And he shed his blood to save you. Jesus willingly went to the cross with your sin. Enduring the Father's wrath because he had your name in his mind. That's an amazing love. And then the Father raised him from the dead in triumphant victory, establishing and accomplishing your salvation forever. And all that happened 2,000 years ago, long before you or I ever existed. All because he loved you. And then let's speed up in human history and come to this time. In love, he created you. In Psalm 139, it says that God carefully knitted you together in your mother's womb. In love, he formed you exactly as he wanted you to be with the gifts you have, the way you look, the experiences you've gone through. He planned your days from the day you were born to the day you die, all motivated by his love. Which means that everything that happens in your life is not accidental, but it's actually motivated by the love of God. You know, many of us have experienced some very hard things. And so that's a hard concept to really grapple with. But everything that has happened in your life to you, every experience, every trial, every joy, every sorrow, is first filtered through the hand of a loving God. And the truth is he cannot act contrary to his love for his people. It will always work out for your good every single time. In love, he sustains your life day by day. He keeps the blood pumping through your uh, blood vessels, your lungs filling with air, all until the day he's ordained for you to die. And God has such care over his people that Jesus said, don't worry about the details of your life, what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, or what's going to happen tomorrow or next year. Because God hasn't taken care of because he cares for you that much. The truth is, though, when you were born into this world, there was a huge problem. You were born into sin. 
And in Ephesians 2, after this great statement of the love of God and how he, he uh, loved us and chose us and predestined us to be his children, he says that we were born in sin, born dead in sin. We were born controlled by Satan and enslaved to the passions of our own flesh. We were without hope, we were without God, and, and to call that a problem is, is the biggest understatement in the world. We were dead. But God, to the greatest words in the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, he made you alive together with Christ, and raised you up with him. You were dead. But in the power of Christ, and the power of the resurrection, you are raised to life, born again, made new. And in his love, he gave you this gift of faith so that you would learn to rest in Jesus Christ and be forgiven. All those things that you've done throughout life, those thoughts that you've had, those hurtful words that you've spewed, those wrongs that you've committed. God in his love, he forgives you and washes you clean and then he covers you with the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. You're made righteous all because he loved you. And then because of his love, he fills you with the Holy Spirit who makes for absolute certain that you will be carried to completion until that day of glory. He holds you in the palm of his hand and no one can snatch you out. And as we read earlier, nothing, absolutely nothing, no power in all this world will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Because of his love, he grants every promise of the scriptures. He keeps for you an inheritance in heaven, a glory so great that it will make even your darkest, heaviest, uh, hardest days here on earth seem light and momentary. That's how great it is. And we could go on and on and on reflecting on what God has done for us. Does God really love you? If he gave up his own son, how will he not also graciously give you everything? It's crystal clear. If you know Jesus, he loves you more than you could ever understand. You can't fathom it. In fact, the Bible uh, describes how big God's love is. In, in Psalm 57, which we read, it says that God's love reaches to the heavens. Think about how big that is. You know, you could go to Colorado and you can see those glorious Rocky Mountains and massive peaks, some of which are two and a half miles high. But God's love makes them look like a little rumble strip driving over them. God's love reaches beyond the moon. It's bigger than the sun. God's love reaches beyond the Andromeda galaxy, our closest galaxy. Reaches into the farthest Parts of the universe passes the farthest stars, comes to the edge of the universe, and then it spills over. The love of God is way bigger than you could even imagine. As I said, there are some things in Scripture that you know we might want to get a little bit more clarity on, but the promise of the enduring love of God is unmistakable. It's on every page, in every story. If you know Jesus Christ then you can be certain that God is not out to get you. He has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten about you, but rather on the contrary. He loves you with a love that's way bigger than you can imagine. So God is love. 
He loves the world generally. He loves his people specifically. And finally, he loves perfectly. You know, you might be listening to this and, and with the clarity of the Bible speaking to this and the many verse, verses we could reflect on, yeah, you get that the Bible says that God loves, but sometimes our experience in our own personal lives seems to uh, conflict with what we're told in the Bible. And so maybe that question still arises, but does God really, truly love me? When your prayers go unanswered, when you make good plans and God lets them fall apart, when you ask for good things, he doesn't give them to you. There, there's all kinds of reasons that we can question God's love. How can I believe that God loves me when these things happen? Well, when this question keeps nagging at you, you have to really step back to consider what love really means. Now, love is a very popular topic in our culture. It's also a popular topic in the church. And sometimes there's some cross-pollinization between these two concepts of love. And it's easier to allow our concept of love to become more informed by our culture and less by the scriptures. It's easy to think of love as being these sort of warm fuzzies in your tummy. And those uh, warm fuzzies are nice and we want God to give us those warm fuzzies each day so we know that he's with us. Or it's easy to measure God's love by how often he gives you what you want. And you can check off all those prayer requests that he answered um, the way exactly that you want. If he always gives me what I want, then he must love me. And if he doesn't give me what I want, then he must not love me. Sometimes we measure God's love by those warm fuzzies, those feelings, or what we've gotten from God. Well, thankfully, God defines love for us and he he says um, I love you repeatedly throughout scripture and, and the way he loves us he clarifies in John 14 21 he says I will love him and show myself to him what that tells us is that the most loving gift that God could give you is a glimpse of himself to show himself to you Many times he doesn't give us those warm fuzzies or answer our prayers the way we might want him to or grant our desires that are so deep in our hearts. And he does that to help you, to help me, to understand him and to see him better. John Piper defines the love of God this way. The love of God is his doing whatever needs to be done at whatever cost to himself or to us, so that we will see and be satisfied in him. The love of God is doing whatever needs to be done at whatever cost to himself or to us, so that we will see and be satisfied in him through Jesus Christ. This love of God has caused quite a bit of pain. Jesus became human, he was crucified, he absorbed in his body, and soul, all the wrath of God due to us for our sins. God the Father turns back on his own beloved son, all because of your sins. His love caused him a lot of pain. And you know what? Oftentimes his love for you will also cause you some pain. And God in his love does whatever it takes so that you will see him and be satisfied in him. And perhaps our prayers should take more of that shape. God, do whatever it takes in my life 
so that I will see you and be satisfied in you. That's perfect love. God is love. He loves the world sincerely and generally. He loves his people specifically. And he loves perfectly. God loves you way more than you can understand. One of Paul's great prayers, you you read the the, the, uh, letters of Paul and you see his prayer requests for the church. And he says in, in Ephesians, He prays for them that they would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ, which surpasses understanding. His prayer is that we would really understand how how big and great and massive his love is for us. That should be our prayer. In John 15, Jesus said, abide in my love. You're going to go through all the ups and downs of life. And as you go through those ups and downs, abide in his love. His immeasurable, unbreakable, unchangeable, his relentless love is found in Jesus Christ. God is love. Abide in his love. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that love is one of your essential attributes. And we ask you to open our eyes to see how wide and long and deep and high is your love. And we simply ask you to continue your good work in our lives, to do what's necessary. To reveal yourself to us each day. So that we would see your glory more and more and be satisfied in the face of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love. Help us by faith to abide in your love. It's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.